It's a term that, before the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, probably wasn't in most Americans' vocabulary. Carbon capture and sequestration. The topic was previously the fodder of academics, lawyers, and lawmakers, and, as we'll discuss, a small group of energy investors. The passage of President Biden's landmark climate bill is a turning point for the American carbon capture market, yes, but the industry is by definition global. So what will this nascent industry look like as the market develops across continents? In this edition of Spotlight, we'll sit down with Partners Group's Esther Piner, Keith Martin of Norton Rose Fulbright, and Professor Scott Barrett at Columbia University to discuss where the market will move post-Inflation Reduction Act. I'm Isabel O'Brien with Infrastructure Investor. To limit global temperature rises to 1.5 degrees Celsius, the United Nations International Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC, released an analysis in April of this year stressing the absolute need for carbon capture technology, stating that nearly all of the modeled global pathways to limit the temperature rises will involve carbon capture and storage in some capacity. The summary also said, quote, The deployment of carbon dioxide removal to counterbalance hard-to-abate residual emissions is unavoidable if net-zero CO2 or greenhouse gas emissions are to be achieved. Currently, global rates of carbon capture and storage deployment are far below those of model pathways limiting global warming to 1.5 or 2 degrees Celsius, enabling conditions such as policy instruments, greater public support, and technological innovation could reduce these barriers, end quote. Yet, so far, only a handful of infrastructure investors have put capital into the carbon capture and storage sector in any capacity. When you look at this broadly handful of players, first of all, you know, they're quite easy to identify in terms of a sort of brands and their activity. That's Esther Piner, a managing director and co-head of the Partners Group European Infrastructure Platform. Secondly, you'll find some of them are intertwined and funded with the oil and gas industry. And, you know, ultimately that's very clear because actually the usage of carbon for enhanced oil recovery is something that's been around for decades in oil and gas. So clearly that they would take that expertise and then also apply that to this more nascent carbon management space is very understandable, which actually means in terms of independent players that will lend themselves at this stage for sort of significant private capital injections. It's a relatively small field of players. Partners Group is one of the few firms that have put private capital towards that so-called small field of carbon capture players into a Swiss company called Climeworks. Here at Partners Group, across infrastructure, we pursue what is called thematic investments, which means that we have broadly grouped the infrastructure space into anything related to the energy transition and carbon neutrality on the one hand, and then also we are active across digitization and social infrastructure. It's within that clean energy that carbon management is a very important subsector that we spend time with. Climeworks is one of the few companies around the world that has made significant strides in maturing technology that can capture existing CO2 in the atmosphere from the air. It can then essentially liquefy that CO2 to allow for it to be transported and stored permanently either underground or potentially also used in other processes. As a technology, that ultimately will enable us anywhere in the world, irrespective of where CO2 was emitted or even when CO2 was emitted, that even 10, 20, 30 years later, at any point on the world, we can actually capture that CO2 and take it out of the air. It sounds promising, but as aforementioned, the market for carbon capture has been slow to take off. What then can be done to make the market more attractive, more viable? 
I asked Scott Barrett, a professor of natural resource economics at Columbia University. So what really matters in terms of direct air capture, being economic from this global societal point of view, would be the cost of removing a ton of CO2 out of the atmosphere, storing it safely, and relating that to the social cost of carbon. The social cost of carbon is a term meant for economists. So what does it mean for us laypeople? Economists can put prices on things like the emissions of sulfur dioxide because of the impacts that has on human health and other things like agricultural production and so on. So economists have also put a value on carbon dioxide and the effect this will have on humans by the effect it will have on our natural environment. So to include the temperature, precipitation, but also changes in major geophysical systems like melting of ice caps that would result in higher sea level rise and so on. And people try to estimate this. What is the actual social cost of carbon then in U.S. dollars per ton of CO2 emitted? Some people would say it's over 100. Some would say it's over 200 today. And then in the future, for a variety of reasons, it's very likely to be getting higher and higher. Now, one way to solve the problem is to reduce emissions, and that's what almost everyone's always talking about. But another way to solve it is to remove the CO2 that we're putting into the atmosphere. That's a, what I would call a backstop technology. So it means that no matter what else we do worldwide, if we remove CO2 from the atmosphere, then we can control concentrations of CO2 in the atmosphere. As Professor Barrett said, for the carbon capture market to be viable, the cost of removing a ton of CO2 must meet this social cost of carbon, whatever it may be. Governments can only encourage research and development to make it cheaper through technology. And they are. The Biden administration set aside $3.5 billion in its bipartisan infrastructure law to do just that. But in the absence of cheaper technology today, governments have had to get creative when driving down the cost of removing a ton of CO2. So what is the United States doing? Section 45Q is a tax credit that the federal government offers. It has been available for quite a long time. That's Keith Martin. I run the project finance group at Norton Rose Fulbright in the United States. And a large portion of what he's worked on involves that tax credit, 45Q, which originally allowed any person or entity actively capturing CO2 from the atmosphere to claim a $50 tax credit per ton of emissions captured. The Inflation Reduction Act changed those who could claim the tax credit to the actual owners of the carbon capture equipment. He spoke with me about the state of 45Q before Senators Schumer and Manchin dropped the bombshell that was the Inflation Reduction Act. The tax credit didn't really work properly because there was a 75 million metric ton limit nationwide on the number of tax credits that could be claimed. The tax credit is a reward for capturing CO2 and other carbon oxide emissions. The amount is tied to the number of metric tons captured. And since there was a nationwide cap of 75 million tons, once that was reached, the tax credit stopped. It was very hard for anybody to plan a project because he or she couldn't know when the tax credits would run out. The tax credits were rewritten in February 2018 to get rid of the $75 million cap and to increase the amount. And since then, interest in them has been growing rapidly, although deals are very slow to come together. Uh, Section 45Q is central to the decision whether to invest. 
There is one other large subsidy called an LCFS credit, low carbon fuel standard credit in California that can also play a significant role in the project economics. But we have found that the reason the market is moving so slowly is the economics don't work for lots of transactions people have looked at doing. The place where the economics seem to work best is ethanol and fertilizer plants. Where it doesn't seem to work is power plants because the amount of electricity required to run the compressors to move the captured CO2 just takes too much of the economics away from the power plants. The Inflation Reduction Act, as you might have guessed, significantly bolstered the 45Q tax credit. But this wasn't the first time that the credit had been tweaked or rewritten. Investors like inflection points. That helps them make money. So what are the inflection points here? First, things have been very slow moving because even though the tax credit was rewritten in 2018, people waited to see how the IRS would interpret it. Those regulations came out in December a year ago. It was about 18 months ago at this point, but they didn't work. The reason they didn't work is the tax credits belong to the party that owns the capture equipment. But in many of these older industrial plants, factories, there is a piece of equipment, a gas separation unit that the IRS defined as part of the capture equipment. And since it was impossible to transfer that to someone who has the capacity to use the tax credits, that meant that these deals just couldn't go forward. It was impractical to put all of the capture equipment in the hands of someone who could use the tax credits. The IRS corrected that problem in July last year in a revenue ruling. And since then, some of the transactions are starting to move forward. I asked him if boosting the credit to $85, where it sits now post-Inflation Reduction Act, would be impactful in convincing investors who are on the fence about whether or not to invest in carbon capture. It's helpful, but it doesn't seem to change the economics enough for power plants. And the $50 seems enough already for coal gasification, ethanol, and fertilizer. There's some things in the middle where it probably makes a difference. There are a number of issues in play in the carbon capture debate in Congress if a higher credit moves forward. One is there's a minimum capture requirement of 100,000 metric tons for factories before you can get any credits. It's a minimum per year. And these proposals on Capitol Hill would reduce that to next to nothing. But the environmental community is objecting to reducing it for power plants. Many of these issues were solved by the Inflation Reduction Act, which, as aforementioned, raised the per metric ton 45Q tax credit up to $85 for captured and sequestered CO2 and $60 for CO2 that is reused. Additionally, the Act provides new tax credits for direct air capture, with a maximum tax credit of $180 per metric ton of CO2 captured and geologically sequestered, and up to $130 per metric ton for CO2 captured and used in a qualified manner. The Act also extends the timeline for what projects can qualify for the tax breaks and reduces the minimum amount of CO2 that must be captured annually to qualify. I asked Esther Piner how she thought demand would grow post-Inflation Reduction Act. I do believe that will have a big impact. It will simply make this a more affordable solution for a much larger group of potential customers. You then look at the demand side, who actually buys these carbon removal certificates that Climeworks monetizes. And there, the, the vast majority of the current demand is actually global companies 
or high net worth individuals. And I would say a very, very large portion of these companies and individuals are actually headquartered in the United States. And I have to say, from an overarching infrastructure investor standpoint, I like the fact that the United States have a regulation that encourages markets to form from a support of profitability of business models. And you really see that with the Inflation Reduction Act coming to play. Whereas I believe in Europe, when I look at what's being debated individually at country levels or amongst sort of the European Union member states, to me, there, there seems to be a little bit more of a heading into the direction of taxes or penalties as means to change behavior. And I believe that will be more difficult from an implementation perspective. So I think it will take longer for regulatory and subsidy intervention to really come to play in Europe in a meaningful fashion. So I think it will mean that, again, for Climeworks, there ought to be additional demand coming out of the United States as now more companies can sort of afford, afford to afford the services, essentially, because they have now the benefit of the additional subsidies in the system. Which is great, because I had previously asked Martin what kind of demand existed out there without a boosted tax credit, be it through internal ESG policies or individuals' goodwill. His answer was succinct. Uh, none. But this boosted 45Q should grow demand for carbon capture services in the U.S. And if demand grows in the U.S., it'll be a bigger customer base for carbon capture companies across the globe. But will the supply be able to keep up? Martin is skeptical. The market has not coalesced yet around a single structure for these deals. Whenever the federal government puts a lot of money on the table, every participant in the deal wants part of it. And so the exercise in trying to structure these deals is to figure out who needs how much and then what label to put on the money transfers. There's no one structure just yet. The tax equity market, which is a potential user of these tax credits, many of the factory owners can't use them directly is about a $20 billion market. There is concern about the capacity of that market to absorb new areas like carbon capture and offshore wind, which are now crowding in. The offshore wind projects would require more than a billion dollars in tax credits for each single deal. So that is a concern and the possibility that the cost of tax equity might increase over time as carbon capture and offshore wind crowd in. Some of the bigger players, the Banks of America, J.P. Morgans are looking at deals. None of them has closed in a yet, but they expect to start closing some later this year or next year. So it seems like for the time being, only huge pools of capital, like that available to Partners Group, can get in the game. On the direct air capturing side, it will really be a scale game. That's Piner again. So I believe specifically direct air capture, I suspect, will always require larger capital pools. You know, it will have to have that global remit in order to take off successfully. I think if you look at a broader carbon capture value chain, so anything between the capturing of an emission to the ultimate storage of carbon, whether that's underground, on or offshore, and then the entire value chain that sits in between, because oftentimes you have the emissions in a place where you need a capturing solution, but actually the storage will be at a very different place. And again, where is the best possible combination also from an energy perspective, which is a huge input factor for any carbon capturing, you know, that interplay and that value chain as it matures, I believe will provide ample opportunity, different sizes of investments, different profiles of investors. But for now, carbon capture players need to be big enough to absorb the risk that comes with investing in such a nascent industry. They also need to be big enough to make large ticket investments with this type of risk. And Partners Group, alongside its peers like BlackRock and GIC, can do just that. 
The actual capital pockets that sit behind our investment in ClientWorks, however, is not our direct infrastructure fund that typically invests in much more mature businesses, also of a much larger size. The capital actually comes out of growth pockets that we manage within Partners Group. And it's really for the purposes of ClientWorks that we've brought together that source of capital from across our platform and sort of married that up with our thematic convictions from an infrastructure perspective. The direct air capture is a technology that will mature, that will be able to scale over the next two decades. It's very rare, and I really do want to stress that it's very rare that we have this intersection of a strong belief in a thematic with then a business that has such a good track record as Climeworks has, and where we feel that as an investor, we can bring more than just capital and help them to really grow and expand. How then can we make investments like these less rare? In the end, what really will determine the attractiveness of a direct air capture solution will be the access to renewable energy, right? because you're not going to want to add to the problem, the access to affordable renewable energy, because the cheaper the energy inputs is, the cheaper the solution gets overall for the system, and then last but not least, proximity to the right storage solutions. I think the interesting question for me will be one of time and sort of the time it will take for business models to mature. And ultimately, there's so many different variables that will interplay with this. It's going to be a question of license to operate. And that's why I believe today you see tech companies and you see certain financial services companies being so active in the space. Because on the one hand, they have this wish, this understanding, this push from some of their ultimate end users, I, you know, all of us, to be thought leaders in the space. But they also then have the associated margins that they can afford to act. And I think how much more the, the social pressure will actually trickle down into different industries, I think will be a huge determinant of how fast the industry will mature. Or should we even try to make them less rare? Is this an industry we want to mature? Critics of the tax credit 45Q call it polluter welfare, stressing that the technology's deployment, at least in the United States, has come mainly from the fossil fuel industry, which uses the technology for enhanced oil recovery. While the current numbers surely do paint a picture that carbon capture and storage has done little to reduce overall emissions of CO2 in the United States to date, Barrett takes a broader, long-term, and more global point of view. It is very important that everyone understand that there is not one solution to this. There isn't. It's not as if you only do one thing, like you expand renewable energy, then the problem is solved. If you understand the uses of energy throughout the global economy, that will not be enough. So we need to pursue this goal of net emissions with the understanding that we're going to have to do a lot of things. We're going to need new technologies, have to look at a multiple of approaches. In that whole mix, direct air capture plays a unique role because it is the only backstop technology. At a minimum, right now, we should be making sure we understand what the costs are, uh, what form of the technology works best, what the risks might be of any, what the issues are, the stumbling blocks, the things that will prevent us from doing more. And what we've seen over 30 years of climate negotiations is that countries keep saying they're going to act, and then they don't. Global emissions keep rising. We've seen that for 30 years. We don't have 30 more years to dither. So I think it's really quite imperative that we get moving on a lot of fronts 
and direct air capture of one critical component of that. With all this recent momentum, it's hard to imagine the carbon capture market taking 30 years to develop. However, time is of the essence, and the issues of risk, demand generation, and a limited tax equity market need to be dealt with so the industry can scale in time. If you want to learn more about carbon capture and sequestration, be sure to check out our analysis on the Inflation Reduction Act in the upcoming September issue of Infrastructure Investor, as well as our recent web piece on the Department of Energy's $3.5 billion carbon capture and sequestration PPP scheme. If you want to hear more episodes of Spotlight, you can check us out wherever you listen to your podcast or at PEI's various titles online. And if you liked what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review. For Infrastructure Investor, I'm Isabel O'Brien. Thanks for listening.